0: It's Palm Sunday. It's a Palm Sunday, and 2,000 years ago, there was a celebration that was taking place in Jerusalem, and people were shouting and cheering, and they were excited. We were singing this morning. We could feel that energy building in this place as we lifted the name of Jesus on high. Same thing was happening 2,000 years ago. Is this crowd gathered to watch Jesus riding this donkey into Jerusalem? You know, uh, a few months ago we did a, a short series on waiting, and uh, I, I was thinking about that this week as I was preparing. Uh, and I want to touch on a couple of things about waiting. We we all know what it means to wait for something, am I right? We all understand. We get waiting. We live in Southern California. So waiting is, right, anyone commute for work and you're like, I'm going to be in traffic for a few hours today, we understand waiting. So, so it's something we do all the time, whether it's traffic or going to the doctor's office or, of course, the, the worst one of all is waiting at the DMV, the DMV. I got my driver's license renewal notice, and, and I got to tell you, my favorite line on that is, you don't need to come in, you can renew online. Hallelujah. Thank you Jesus. <laughs> Cuz I do not want to go to the DMV. And and so often we relate waiting to things that are kind of negative. Things that are like, oh, I have to wait. But the reality is there's things that are worth waiting for and we get excited about. I mean, come on, Christmas morning, right? Anyone still as an adult, you're like, I can't wait for Christmas morning. Okay, none of you. <laughs> this is amazing. I love Waiting for Christmas morning. And I think after I became a father, Christmas took on this whole, now I couldn't wait to see my kids' faces on Christmas morning. We love waiting for Christmas morning. Uh, We love waiting for friends and family to arrive from out of town. Rather, we should love waiting for family and friends to <laughs> arrive from out of town. I remember when I was a kid, my, my grandparents lived a, a quite a distance away from us, so we would only see them on holidays. And, and I remember my sister and I, grandma, Granny and Grandpa, we didn't call them Grandma and gra- uh, gra- Grandpa, it was Granny and Grandpa, were coming up from Cape Town, and, and we knew they were going to arrive in a window of time because they were driving, and we, we, we would sit at the window in the living room, just kind of bouncing up and down on the couch, just going, okay, when do they get here? When do they get here? And of course, when they pulled into the driveway, we jumped up and we ran out the door screaming and shouting. We couldn't wait for them to arrive. Or maybe it's a graduation day. I know some of you are coming up on a graduation this year and you're going, oh, I can't believe I'm finally here. I'm going to graduate high school. I'm going to graduate from college. Perhaps it's the birth of a child. You know, you're pregnant, and you're waiting for that day, and there's a due date, and that date can't seem to come fast enough, especially the later in the pregnancy you get. You're like, time just speed up a little bit, but you're waiting, and, and the reality is due dates are great, but very rarely are accurate, am I right? And so you're going, I want this day to come, and what happens when we're waiting is that there's an anticipation and an excitement that can build in our hearts. We can get really excited about what's about to happen. But I've noticed something that happens in me, and maybe this happens in you as well. The anticipation and the excitement can lead to some daydreaming. Any daydreamers? All right. Man, all right. Just wave your arms for me for a second. Just (laughs) everyone just kind of do this. All right. Okay, they're all working. This is good. I'm a daydreamer. So as I'm waiting, I've noticed that I'll start imagining and thinking about what it's going to be like. Oh, when that happens, it's going to be like this, and then this is going to be, and this is going to be good, and then I'm going to do this. And it starts building up this expectation, paints this mental and emotional picture. It's not always a bad thing either. It can be a good thing, but sometimes we can build stuff up in our minds so much that when the actual thing happens, it can leave us a little disappointed, like getting underwear for Christmas, <laughs> right? Or that sweater that your aunt ant-knitted for you, and you've got to go, wow, thank you. But inside, you're going, this is not what I was hoping for. This is not what the expectation was. You see, it can leave us disappoint- disappointed. That sense, that feeling that you might be feeling right now, that remembering that you would have about that kind of thing, is what was happening on Palm Sunday. As Jesus comes to Jerusalem and this crowd has gathered, there is this expectation and this anticipation and this waiting that has been happening in Israel, in the Jewish people, and they believe in this moment that their waiting has now finally ended. Let's look at Luke chapter 19 together, starting in verse 28. It says this, After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went ahead and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. So this kind of interesting situation There's an owner of a cult. These two guys just come up and start untying it, right? The disciples. What are you doing? The Lord needs it. And for some reason, we just know that that, that this person just goes, oh, okay, fine. Go ahead, right? Just kind of an interesting scenario. So they bring the donkey back, the the foal, back to Jesus, and they threw their uh, cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And when he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to joyfully praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I and Jesus replied, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. There was a lot of commotion, a lot of moving parts here, a lot of things happening. And there's some pretty deep significance into what Jesus was doing in this process see it wasn't his first time in jerusalem he'd been in jerusalem a number of times but it was the first time that he would enter jerusalem the way he did this time i want to show you a picture this is the eastern wall of jerusalem and you can see the shape of a gate in the wall there that gate is the eastern gate or the golden gate and that gate In Jesus' time would have been the entrance. He would have gone up through that gate and come face to face with the steps leading into the temple. This picture is taken from the Mount of Olives looking over this valley. So Jesus would have been up on the Mount of Olives and would have traveled down through this valley... Uh, this cemetery that exists there now wasn't there in Jesus' time. And, of course, the, the, the gates had not been filled in 2,000 years ago. They were functioning gates. And we'll talk about why that's significant here in a minute. So Jesus would have come up this hill, up through these gates, and entered up onto the Temple Mount on a donkey. See, Israel was waiting for their king, for the Messiah, and, and indeed, Jesus was and is that king. But in their waiting, they built the anticipation of what the Messiah would do and be into something that God didn't intend. See, he, they thought that he would free them from their captivity under the Romans, that he would come and drive out the foreigners, this invading army from their land, and that he would usher in a season of peace and prosperity, even in they, their singing They sung the prophet's song that there would be peace and glory in the highest, echoing the song that was sung when Jesus was born, peace on earth, glory in the highest. They're singing those same things, worthy of a king. Here's a couple of things about the Temple Mount. High places in Israel, whether it was the temple or the synagogues, were always built on an elevated plane, on an elevated place says at the beginning of this that Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and all throughout Scripture we see that they would go up to the house of the Lord, they would go up to the temple. It was a sign of reverence and honor and respect, that you would always go up and walk up to Jerusalem. Here's the other thing: you would never ride into Jerusalem, even today, for those that are traveling with us in September on our Israel trip. Uh, One of the things that our guide does is that when we come into Jerusalem up, we'll come up from Jericho up the winding road into Jerusalem and we get to a certain point and he actually pulls the bus over, we all get out of the bus and then we walk a good distance into the city city of Jerusalem and and we walk to this place that we can then see the city laid out in front of us. You would always walk as a sign of honor and reverence into the presence of of God. Another little interesting fact is that the steps that would go into the temple or in the synagogue were never even. You know, you ever gone up a flight of stairs where there's one step that's a little higher, the rise and the run is off, it's not accurate. What end up what ends up happening? You you trip. See because the flights when you walk up a flight of stairs, within a couple of steps your brain calculates exactly how high your feet need to raise up for you to be able to step up and walk up that flight of stairs. But if there's unevenness, your brain gets a little messed up and you trip. And so in order to, to, uh, to keep people in a place of reverence, the steps going into the synagogues and into the temple were never perfectly even. They were always uneven. And the reason for that is people would have to look down at their feet to watch their, where they were walking. And it forced this reverential posture as people would walk into the presence of God. Why is this important? Because Jesus here rides into Jerusalem. He doesn't walk. The only person who would have the right and the place to ride into the temple would be God Himself. And so He makes a statement about who He is, about His deity, the fact that He is the Messiah that he is the king. He is the one that they've been waiting for, and he makes a bold statement. We think, well, it's just, it's cute. He rides into the temple, but he makes a bold statement about who he is as he takes this journey up the steps and into the temple. See, Jesus did come to free them from captivity. He did come to drive out invading forces. He did come to bring peace, just not in the way that they expected. My first point this morning is this. God is already moving on your behalf. Whatever it is you're waiting for, God is already moving on your behalf. He's not sitting waiting. He's not sitting twiddling his thumbs. He's not trying to figure out what he's going to do next. See, humanity was waiting for a savior and for a king, and God was already moving, and we see that through the prophecies in the Old Testament that Jesus would do exactly what he did. See, it is the fulfillment of prophecy. In fact, We read it in Matthew 21, 4 through 5, in Matthew's account of what happened on this day. In verse 4, it says, This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The, The connection would have been made for the Jewish people because they would have heard that prophecy. Here, it's happening the way that that the prophets said that it would happen. God was already moving on their behalf. See, but their disappointment in how he came and what he did changed very quickly, where this crowd on this day is singing Hosanna, in just a few short days would be screaming and shouting, crucify him. We have to know that God is already moving on our behalf. He's moving on our behalf, but we have to manage how we respond to him in the midst of that. See, God is sovereign. He sees everything. He knows the beginning from the end. He knows what you need more than you do. He knows what you need even more than you do. Now, I think the enemy would want to tell us, no, 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 you know what's best for you. In fact, we say that, don't we? Hey, you know what's best for you. But the reality is, is so often, we don't. God had a plan, and he was working the plan. You see, Jesus didn't come to drive out the Romans. Yes, they were living under captivity. They were enslaved, but not by the Romans. They were enslaved by Satan. See, they were submitted to the ruler of this age, of this world. And we talked last week about the kingdom of God being established because of sin in the Garden of Eden. That authority that we have to to rule and have dominion over the earth was handed over to Satan. And up to this point, and when Jesus died on the cross, Satan was in charge. And so they were under bondage, they were under slavery. Not by the Romans, but by demonic forces, by Satan himself. He did come to drive out the invading forces, the forces of darkness that tormented people, keeping them locked up and stuck. He came to drive out those forces, not the legions of Romans that were encamped all over the place, And he, he came to bring peace, but not peace in the sense and not prosperity in the sense that we, they would just flourish in that land and in that place, but peace in the sense that, that their, their hearts would be set free from sin, that there would be peace with God. See, at this time, God is their enemy. He is not their friend because of sin. But Jesus came that there would be peace. And so what he brought was so much bigger than what they expected. But it's important to note that he was already moving on their behalf. My second point is this. God's answers don't always look like our answers or like answers at all. So often we face things in our lives and we imagine what the solution will look like. We map it out. Any any planners, any strategists in the house or you're just going, yeah, I have a problem and I'm going to just plan out the next steps and I'm going to figure this out and I'm going to surrender my plan to God so he can bless it. I'm going to tell God what he needs to do on my behalf and then I'm going to wait for him to do that. See, his answers don't always look like answers, and the reason for that is because he knows better what we need, which means that he's going to answer our questions and, and, and meet our, our, our issues in a way that makes sense to him, but doesn't necessarily make sense to us. So let's take a look at the cult. Why a cult? Why a donkey? Here, here's the deal. Kings don't ride Donkeys. Kings ride stallions. Kings don't ride donkeys. See, and as this crowd is pressing into Jerusalem, they're going up to, to, to the mount. In fact, this is Mount Moriah. we can go back to that picture for a second. This, this, this mount where uh, the temple was, can we get the picture back up. Is it there? No. You can see this is a high place. It's built on a, on a ridge that extends in the valleys here in Jerusalem. This is Mount Moriah, and you might recognize that name because it's the same place when Abraham was told by, told by God to go and sacrifice his son Isaac. He told him, go up to Mount Moriah. Right. And it's in this place where Abraham comes and he builds the altar and he gets the firewood ready, and he's ready to kill his son on the same mountain where God would ultimately kill his son right? And then God says, Abram, stop. I've made another way. You see, Jesus was the other way. Yeah. And God was working a plan, and he had an answer that didn't look like a practical, or realistic, or even kind answer, but it was an answer nonetheless. And so Jesus comes riding on a donkey into Jerusalem. He has to ride because he's making a statement about his deity, about the authority that he has to do the work that he's about to do. But he does it in a way that is completely humble. I'm not going to ride a stallion. I'm going to ride a donkey. And of course, that is a fulfillment of prophecy, but it's so much more. It makes a statement about the rulership of Jesus, that there is a humility and a servitude about the heart of Jesus towards his Father and towards us. It says, I'm going to come in such a way that you will be blessed. You might not understand it. You might not see the whole picture, but know this. His answers are perfect answers. See, Jesus rides in and what he is saying, he's making a very public declaration about who he is. But the bigger declaration wasn't in the flesh. The declaration he was making was in the spirit. See because all of the demonic forces that existed and were in that place knew who Jesus was and all of hell was shaking in their boots because in this moment when Jesus rides into Jerusalem he is declaring to the king of darkness to the king of this world right. to the one who is over to Satan himself your time is up right. your time is up And so he makes this declaration, and he has the authority to make that declaration. And we talked about last week the fact that you cannot just decide you have authority. Authority has to come from somewhere. And in the case of Jesus Christ, being a part of the Godhead was absolutely a source of his authority, but he submitted himself to God the Father as well. And that God raised him up to be this perfect sacrifice. A declaration was made in the spiritual realm, in the realm where our battles are fought, about who we are, about who he was, and about who we are. Can I tell you that when God answers the things in our lives, the issues, the problems, the questions in our lives, he's not just doing it for us. He's making a declaration. He's making a declaration to the prince of the air to the demonic forces that would want to attack you, this is my child and you have no authority here. And he would drive back the powers of darkness. He has the right to do just that. See, when he rides into Jerusalem, he puts himself on par with God because he is indeed God. You see, where the king is, the kingdom is. Where the king is, The kingdom is. Matthew 6, 9, and 10, we read this last week. Jesus, teaching his disciples to pray, says, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In this moment, as Jesus rides up to the temple, his declaration to to the forces of darkness is this, My kingdom is coming. I am ushering in my Father's kingdom into this place, into this reality, and I am reclaiming what is mine, what is rightfully mine. I, was, I mentioned I was going to talk about the cemetery. Why is there a cemetery, and why is the eastern gate built in closed? Well, we know this, because it's in the news all the time, is that there is no Jewish temple on the Temple Mount. There's a, a mosque, an Islamic mosque, the Al-Aqsa Mosque, that stands in that place. This, this spot of land is hotly contested and is debated about and who does it belong to. And uh, Just from a historical perspective, the claim of the Jews on this land goes back thousands of years before Islam even existed as a religion. The claim that Israel has on this piece of land goes back before Islam even existed as a religion. See, Islam does not honor Jesus Christ. And it does not recognize the deity of Jesus and the authority of Jesus. And therefore, it is a false religion. It takes people away from God, does not bring them to God. And we can package that any way we want and, and try and make it sound good. But the reality is anything that takes people away from Jesus is not of God. It is of Satan. And so what has been established on the Temple Mount is in essence a structure, an edifice, a place of worship erected to Satan himself. Those gates were filled in because the prophecy says that when Jesus comes back, he will enter through the same gate. He will enter through the same gate. What's interesting is that when Jews would go to the temple to pray, they would have to cleanse themselves at the pool of Siloam and they would then come up to the temple. And, and one of the things that you could not do is even have contact with other people, let alone a dead body. If you touched a dead body or you were in a graveyard, you would have to be separated for a, a period of time until you were considered clean. And so the, the, is, the, the Muslim community said, you know what we're going to do is we're going to fill in the gate and we're going to build a cemetery and essentially block the return of Jesus, to block his path from being able to return the way he said he would return. This is an object of fear. This is the enemy's last best attempt to say, I'm, do you think some gravestones and, and bricks are going to hold Jesus back? We know that it is not the case, that he will return, and I tell you what, this time he will not be on a donkey. He will come riding on a, a majestic... Right, on a cloud, and there's a picture in revelation of him on a steed, on a stallion, with a sword, and everyone will know. Right. Amen? Right. He's going to come back, and he's going to go right up through that gate, and, it's, and the whole world will know. Lastly this morning, Jesus is worthy to be praised. He is worthy to be praised. And i got to tell you this morning, Jesus is worthy to be praised because of who He is, not because of what He does. Right. It's so easy to read Scripture and go, I would be one of the people on the road singing Hosanna, but I wouldn't have been one of those other people. <clears throat> Yet in our hearts, in our posture to the Lord so often, and as, I, as a pastor I get to hear this a lot, if God really loved me, He would, and we fill in the blank. And we call into question the goodness of God based on what he is doing for us. And in that moment, we become no different from those, those people standing on the side of the road or standing in that place accusing Jesus. That's a pretty hard thing to say. That's a pretty hard thing to say. And I'm fully aware of what I'm saying in this moment. See, because when it comes to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, he is worthy of everything that we can bring in praise and thanksgiving to him. In the good times and in the hard times, when we see him moving and when we don't see him moving. See, our praise of God is not based on our circumstances. We praise and worship God because he is worthy to be praised says, when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Why were they praising Jesus? For the miracles. Because they didn't understand who he was. In a sense, their worship is misplaced. It's misguided. Blessed is, the king who, uh, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Of course, the Pharisees are always right there to tell Jesus what he should and should not do. Hey, tell them to be quiet. Now, do you think Jesus knew that their worship was a little misplaced? Absolutely. Absolutely. i to tell you this morning, Misguided worship is better than no worship. Right? Misguided worship is better than no worship. You remember the account where Jesus, the disciples, come and say, hey, there's these people who are preaching in your name. Tell them to go be quiet. And he goes, listen, if my name's being lifted up, my name is being lifted up. And they might not get all of the the function right. But at the end of the day, the name of Jesus is powerful, and if his name is being preached, so what he says to the Pharisees is this, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Now, we're like, well, that doesn't make sense, but but here's what we know from Scripture, that all creation worships God. And what he is saying to them, and the Pharisees would have known this, and this was just a finger, kind of a poke in their eye, to seal the deal about who he is. Remember, this is a declaration about his deity. If I tell them to be quiet, even these stones will cry out to God, which I imagine the Pharisees would have torn their clothes and cried out and being very dramatic about all of that. Because again, Jesus is asserting that he is God. In fact, I think that statement right there was one of the key statements that leads to Jesus standing where he did being accused. Because they knew what he was saying. And more than that, Satan knew what he was saying. But in the midst of this, he goes, I will not tell them. I will not tell them to be quiet. Because as we've already talked about, there is something in the physical that has an impact in the spiritual. Again, hell was shaking at the sound of this praise. All of the forces of darkness knew that their time had come. And hearing the praise of the people singing glory to God, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, would have just burned in their ears. When you praise God not based on what's going on in your life, but based on who He is. Can I tell you those very same forces that are seeking to steal, kill, and destroy are put back in their place. So we praise God. We choose to praise His holy name. We lift Him on high. We shout His praise. Can I tell you, when things are tough, praise all the more. Turn up the volume. Go into the house. Crank up whatever... Right. Boombox thing, boombox. So let's go back to the 80s. <laughs> My kids have a thing called a boom roll thing, a Bluetooth speaker, and it's loud, right? We're always saying, hey, turn that down. Turn it up. Crank up that music. Crank up the praise. Crank up the posture of your heart to say, I know this is hard, and I know I have expectations, but Jesus, in this moment, I choose to praise you because you are God, and you are worthy. And I don't want to leave it up to the rocks to cry out, I'm going to sing your praise. And I know that for those of you who have walked in that way, you have seen peace and breakthrough come as God ministers to your soul, as he ministers to your heart, as as he cares for your emotions. So know that God is moving on your behalf. And know that the answers that he is bringing will not always look like the answers that you are expecting. By the way, usually they far uh, far exceed them. And no matter what, would you choose to praise Jesus in every circumstance? One of the ways that we usher in his kingdom, one of the ways that we establish his kingdom here on earth is through our praise. So in order to do that this morning, we're going to close in worship. I invite the worship team to come up. We can go ahead and stand. See, the triumphal entry wasn't triumphal because of the people standing there. It was triumphal because of Jesus. The triumphal entry has an impact on your life today. Jesus was looking at the triumph that he would bring and establish in your life that God is the king, that he is the ruler, and that he is bringing about victory in your life today. And so as we praise, as we close and praise this morning, would you, would you just sing that praise to him? I think we're going to sing that, that he is good. Yeah. <laughs> he is good. And would you shout that? Would you declare that this morning, especially as we move into this week? Would you declare that over the lives of the people that you were praying for, that of the hearts of those that you were believing would be saved, that they would come to know Jesus? Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you this morning that you are moving on our behalf. Jesus, that you are working a plan And it doesn't matter what the circumstances are. It doesn't matter what we're walking through. You know what the solution is. And you care about where we're at. You care about our predicament. God, if you didn't care, Jesus wouldn't have come. And so we know that your heart is for your children. But I pray this morning in this place as we lift our voices in praise. God, that you would meet us in this place. That you would bring reassurance, God that you know, that you see, that you care, that you're moving, and that you have the authority to meet every need, to speak to every concern, to change every circumstance that we could be facing in this place today. We give you praise. Let's worship together. Our, Our prayer team is available, by the way, at the back. If you want to pray with someone, any prayer need whatsoever, they would love the opportunity to pray with you this morning. Let's worship.